Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, June 28th. Let's take a few minutes to listen to and analyze this apparent smoke-and-gun audio tape in the Trump classified documents case. As you probably heard, the indictment of Trump describes a recording in which Trump brags to a writer that he has a classified document from the Pentagon about war plans for Iran that he got after he was president, so he couldn't declassify it. So he calls it classified and secret, but shows it to the writer anyway to try to settle a political argument with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Well, this week, as you may also know, CNN obtained what they say is the actual audio. So now we can all hear it for ourselves and see what we think of it as evidence in the criminal case and as evidence of whether Trump is fit for office again. He remains consistently the early leading candidate for the Republican presidential nomination among likely primary voters surveyed by pollsters. We'll also get into the national security implications of having this document revealed since Iran now knows something about what Trump and the Joint Chiefs of Staff chairman were contemplating. And just to complicate your thinking, before we start, a mystery here is that the indictment describes and quotes from this tape, yes, but the document in question is not one of those Trump is officially accused of illegally keeping, and he's not charged with disseminating it, a more serious crime than just having it, even though showing it to a writer is exactly what he's doing on the tape, disseminating it. So with us to help explain what we hear on the tape in context is Quinta Jurassic, senior editor at the website Lawfare, which analyzes difficult national security choices. She's also a fellow in governance at the Brookings Institution and a contributing writer to The Atlantic. Quinta, always good to have you. Welcome back to WNYC. Thanks for having me. And first, I'm going to play basically the whole two-minute tape. It's about two minutes. And then we'll replay a shorter piece of it that might be the most legally consequential. So here goes with the full version. Uh, Trump is talking to apparently two writers helping Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, write a memoir. Two of Trump's own staffers are also there. This is in July of 2021 at Trump's Bedminster, uh, New Jersey, golf club. Trump is arguing that Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mark Milley was wrong to accuse Trump of plotting to attack Iran because it was Milley himself who drew up Iran war plans. We pick it up there. Well, with Milley, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Look. Wait a minute. Let's see here. I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm -hmm. Except it is like highly confidential, secret. (laughs) This is secret information. But look look at this. You attack and... Hillary would print that out all the time, you know. 
<laughs> send it, email. No, she'd send it to yeah. Anthony Weiner. Yeah, yeah. The pervert. Um, by the way, isn't that incredible? Though? Yeah. I was just saying, because we were talking about it. And, you know, he said, he wanted to attack Iran and what? He's in the papers. Did. This was done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably, right? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to figure out a, a yeah. See, as president, I could have declassified yeah. it. Now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, classified. Now, now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, it's so, I'm, look, we here and I have, and you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, it's, I believe It's incredible, it. right? No. They, hey, bring some, uh, bring some Cokes in, please. Bring some Cokes in, please. That's how casual he was about the whole thing. Trump on tape seeming to show three people a sensitive military document that he says flat out is classified, and he did not declassify it as president. The tape was described in the special counsel's indictment and now obtained and released by CNN. Our guest is Quinta Jurassic from The Atlantic, the Brookings Institution, and the Lawfare blog. Quinta, how much did Trump incriminate himself there? Uh, quite a lot, I would say. I mean, the so I should say that, you know, the transcript of this interaction is available in the indictment uh, released by the special counsel's office. But it really is something else to uh, really hear him say. And as you say, you know, that clip of at the end where he says, uh, can we get some cokes? I will say that's not included in the indictment. <laughs> the thing that's really striking about this is that there's a couple things. One is that it makes clear that Trump here is saying he did not declassify this when he could have as president. And that's important because one of the main lines of defense that he and his allies have been using um, in the in the, the press is that, well, you know, Trump declassified all this when he was president. Um, and if, you know, if there isn't documentation of that, that's because he's capable of declassifying it, you know, just by thinking about it. Uh, now, that's a silly argument, and we can talk about why, but that is the argument that he's made. And so what's super important here is that he's saying, I did not declassify this. Now I can't, but it's still, you know, it's still secret. It's still sensitive. Uh, and then the staffer says, you know, now we have a problem. And that's important because it shows that he, he didn't declassify it, and he has some sense that he's doing something wrong here. I think it's also interesting that the audio clip, um, unlike the indictment, again, includes this bit of him uh, joking around about how, you know, Hillary Clinton would have just uh, sent this document everywhere. Um, and that kind of mirrors a section in the indictment where special prosecutor, or excuse me, special counsel Jack Smith says, Trump would routinely talk about uh, the Clinton email scandal, mock Clinton for what he saw as mishandling classified information. And that's crucial because it shows that, you know, this is something that Trump said he took seriously. It's something that he said he knew was wrong. And that's important because it kind of shows, you know, he probably knew that he shouldn't have been holding on to these documents and passing them around like he appears to have done. Okay, let me just replay those last 30 seconds of the tape, the most direct apparent admission of guilt. Sometimes useful to hear something a second time. Here we go. This was done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably, right? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to 
less Figure of that. Out a, a, yeah. See, as president, I could have did less yeah. of that. Now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, close. Now, now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, it's so, I'm, look, we here and I have a, and you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, it's, I believe it's you. It's incredible, right? No, they, hey, bring they some, uh, bring some Cokes in, please. And again, you can hear in the background that staffer saying, oh, now we have a problem. Uh, so how do you think the government might use this tape in the trial if Trump is not accused in connection with the tape itself? Well, right. let me actually so take us before I ask you that question that way. Let's we should take a step back for a little sure. because um, it is a smoking gun to the lay ear, but interestingly, as I mentioned in the intro, he is not charged with that incident or regarding that document, as I understand it. Huh? That's correct. And I agree that it does uh, seem a little odd as we're discussing this. Um, I think there are a couple of different reasons why he may not be charged in connection with this. Um, and we just don't know. Uh, so we can engage in some informed speculation. But I should caveat this by saying, you know, this is very much speculation. So there could be a couple things going on here. One is that I think it's important to note that uh, uh, there has been reporting by the press. I know the New York Times, I believe some other outlets as well have reported that uh, the government has not actually been able to get a hold of the document that Trump is talking about here, um, that they subpoenaed Trump's counsel for it um, and came up empty. They said they didn't have it. Um, and so I could imagine that, you know, if the special counsel is trying to build the strongest case that he absolutely can, he might want to hold back a little bit until he can find out more information about what this document is, um, you know, uh, how sensitive it is, what particularly was in it, how it was handled by Trump, um, where it is, if Trump is hiding it. Because, you know, as we know from the indictment, uh, there were a lot of documents that the government asked him to return and that he uh, repeatedly refused to return and in some cases actually hid from the government. And so if they can build a case saying like, look, here is this highly sensitive document. We have him on tape talking about it. He didn't return it um, and can kind of set out what happened there. That would be really powerful. But maybe they just feel like they need more time to build that case. Another the, aspect. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, another aspect. Go ahead. Another aspect has to do with uh, where this took place. So the indictment, of course, was brought in the Southern District of Florida uh, because a lot of the activity that the special counsel is talking about has to do with what's things that took place at Trump's estate in Mar-a-Lago. This conversation about the Iran document took place at his other estate in Bedminster, New Jersey, um, which I have to say is in my home state, so I have a bit of state pride there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so what's important is that there are constraints on where the government can bring a case. There has to be a hook to, you know, where the particular crime took place. And they will probably want to be very careful about that because they don't want to risk having the case thrown out if Trump can successfully convince the judge, look, they brought this case in the wrong district. It's conceivable, um, and I will say my colleague at Lawfare in Brookings, Scott Anderson, has written about this, that perhaps the special counsel might bring a second case in the District of New Jersey concerning the actions that took place at Bedminster, and we could imagine that that document might feature there. 
And this also proves, apparently, that Trump was lying about this document to the American people on TV last week. Here's a clip of what he said when asked about it by Fox News anchor Brett Baer. There was no document. That was a massive amount of papers and everything else talking about Iran and other things. And it may have been held up or may not, but that was not a document. I didn't have a document per se. There was nothing to declassify. These were newspaper stories, magazine stories, and articles. Yeah, so he said there was no document and nothing classified. I mean, is there any way for even him to wriggle out of that being a lie to the American people on Fox News? He's the king of plausible deniability, but can even he even try to do that with this? I'm sure he'll find a way, uh, but I agree with you that it's pretty hard to figure out how he could possibly wiggle out of that one. It just seems to be a a bald-faced lie. Um, And so since he's not charged in conjunction with this document, how do you think the government might use it in the trial? I would guess that they're going to use it to establish that he knew that this was not something that was declassified, Um, that if he tries to present that defense, they're going to say, look, you knew that this you could have declassified it and you didn't. And we have you saying that on tape. And what's more, we have you talking about how you know it's wrong to share this information because you're mocking Hillary Clinton for doing so. And that, I think, is going to be a a very important part of their case because proving that he violated the Espionage Act in retaining this classified information requires proving his state of mind. It requires proving that he knew um, that you know he was he was doing something wrong. He was violating the law. That this material uh, was material that was classified, rather than say material that he had declassified or that he believed that he declassified. And so, in that sense, it's a very powerful piece of evidence. Given your blog's focus on national security, what are the implications of something like this for national security? Milley is still in office as chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And now, presumably, Iran has something that they didn't have before. It's hard to say, of course, because the whole nature of this problem is that uh, the public doesn't have access to these documents um, and shouldn't uh, likely have access to many of these documents. These are materials that are... Uh, held very, very close to the chest by the government. Um, So without speaking directly to the question of this Iran material, I can say more generally that what the government sets out in its indictment is that, you know, look, these are materials that uh, were extremely, extremely sensitive, um, that needed to be held close to the chest because they could reveal not only what the United States knows about, you know, Iran, Russia, various countries around the world, um, or information about, you know, sensitive U.S. programs, for example, but also how the United States knows those things, right? So, for example, you know, if there's information there that the U.S. gathered through a particular form of intelligence collection on Iran, having that information out there wouldn't just tell Iran, you know, they know what we're doing, but it would also tell them, oh, we can figure out that the U.S. was able to track down this information through this channel. And that means that that channel could be closed off in the future. Um, And that's why there's a sort of follow-on effect that uh, 
you know, builds on itself in the potential danger of having this material publicly available. And you see that this is something that the government takes incredibly seriously. Um, That is why they're so concerned about this material being, you know, talked about uh, at Bedminster, uh, potentially, you know, within uh, uh, earshot of people who we don't know about and could be, you know, not people who are right. are folks who you'd you'd want to have access to this. That they're they were in a you know a bathroom at Mar-a-Lago. Last thing, Quinta, you and I have been talking about evidence of Trump criminality since the Russia investigation. And yes, he was encouraging help from Russia, but Robert Mueller didn't find it in a way that could be charged. So in a way, it didn't matter. Then the two impeachments on Ukraine on January 6th, impeached by the House, not convicted by the Senate. So in a way, it never mattered. He's now been indicted on this and by the Manhattan DA on the falsifying business records charge. And he's already been found liable by a jury for sexual assault of E. Jean Carroll and defaming her. And he's still the leading candidate by far in the Republican primary polls. So looking at this whole body of cases, what does it matter to? And and how do you even relate to doing something like this over and over again? That's a great question. And it's something I ask myself. It does feel a bit like Groundhog Day, <laughs> frankly. Um, I think that for me, I will say the point where we actually got criminal charges against Trump in addition to, as you say, a civil judgment against him uh, for sexual abuse of E. Jean Carroll, it feels like the we're in a different part of the story now, where he is actually facing legal accountability in the courtroom. I don't think that that will solve our political problem. Certainly, there is a significant contingent of Americans who appear to be willing to back Trump basically no matter what he does. But it does mean that we've shifted, I think, more to an environment where uh we can say possibly he can't get away with this with no consequences, that there are going to be some consequences that Americans uh, collectively are going to have to think about, you know, whether we want uh, this kind of person to be in office, what kind of responsibilities we want our Uh, former presidents to have, whether we want them to be subject to criminal prosecution, I would say that that's a a positive development because of everything that we're we're seeing here. Um, And so in that sense, it feels to me like we have, at least to some extent, broken out of that kind of Groundhog Day cycle, and we're now in a bit of a new phase. I don't know where that phase will go um, or how it will end up. I think there are potential good or bad outcomes. But I do think that it is generally speaking a positive step that we seem to have stepped at least a little bit out of that cycle and are moving somewhat forward. Quinta Jurassic, senior editor at the website Lawfare, which analyzes difficult national security choices. She's a fellow in governance at the Brookings Institution and a contributing writer to The Atlantic. Quinta, thanks so much. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.